Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the Sunday of August 15, 2021, the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Mary models for us the life that Jesus calls us to live. She also models the reward that Jesus has in mind for us, our eternal life with him. Mary's assumption gives us hope that Jesus' promise will be fulfilled for us. Though Mary's assumption is not recorded in Scripture, it has been held as a fact since the early days of the church. Uh, for an article on this, you can click on a link in the description of this podcast. The reading from Revelation, the, uh, as does the gospel, speaks of Mary as the mother of the Savior. Interestingly, the image in Revelation 12 is also seen many years later in the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And for more information on that, there's also a link in the description of this podcast. Let's rejoice if we live the life to which we have been called, then we shall be with Jesus forever. The first reading is from the book of Revelation, and it starts with 11.19 to set it up, and then it goes into the first few verses of Revelation 12. It says, God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen in the temple. <clears throat> Ark of the Covenant. This is, uh, this is where the word was held in that ark, along with the manna, the bread of life. Uh, in, in, in Catholic uh, circles, Mary is called the Ark of the Covenant. She is the one who carries the New Testament Word of God, the living Word of God inside her, who is our bread of life. And so it's, it's very interesting that we have that there, uh, in, in Revelation, and then it begins in, in chapter 12, it says, A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Now, it, what's interesting there is, and this is where the book, where the Our Lady of Guadalupe comes in, uh, because if you do a little research, and you can look at the link on this, you will find that not only did the, this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, but also that each detail from that image on the tilma has a specific importance to the Aztecs because it, it indicated that the Virgin had power over their native gods of the sun and the moon. The stars and the clouds told them that she was from heaven. The approach told an, was an Aztec symbol of consecration. And the sash hold across her that she has is a symbol of being pregnant, and her hair, the way it is done, indicates that she's a virgin. The angel carrying Mary is a symbol of royalty because royalty was carried by someone. So we get those things in, in the book of Revelation that helps us to understand a little bit about what God is saying. Now again, let's go back to the Ark of the Covenant, because if you look at Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9, God told, told them to make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in in their midst, according to all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. So again, God made Mary as this sanctuary, as this Ark of the Covenant to carry Jesus until he was born. And so we don't always think of that when we think of what's going on. Now, let's go back, let's go to one of the uh, Chronicle. Deuterocanonical books, 2 Maccabees 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Jeremiah, Jeremiah's, this is post-exile uh, and return from Babylon. And Jeremiah came out and found a, a proprietor that I'm 
yeah, after that, excuse me, and brought there a tent, the tent and the ark of the altar, which since he sealed up the entrance, some who followed came up to mark the way, but could not find it. When Jeremiah learned it, he rebuked them and declared, the place shall be unknown to God until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. So again, the ark of the covenant was very important to the people of that time. She was with child, and she labored to give birth. This reminds us of what God had told Eve after the fall. Uh, he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your, shall, your desire shall be for, for your husband, and he shall rule over you. <clears throat> Micah 4, 9 prophesies. It also says, Now why do you cry aloud? There is no king in you. Is there no king in you? He ha has, has your counselor perished. The pangs that seized you like a woman in labor writhe and groan, O daughter Zion, like the woman in labor pains. For now you shall go forth from the city and dwell in open country. And it goes on to talk about going to Babylon. <clears throat> so then there's another sign that appeared in the sky. It was a huge dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And the word dragon there, uh, the Greek word, is one that basically means a large serpent. So again, that points back to the Garden of Eden where the serpent tempted Eve and conquered Eve at that point in time. And here, Mary, the new Eve, is being delivered from the serpent. Uh, and Daniel 7, 7 talks about that. After I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and extremely strong, and it had a great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and, and stamped, the residue with his feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before. It had ten horns. So that, let's go. Let's go down a little bit. It says. <coughs> it says it was a huge dragon. With seven heads and ten horns, and its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars of the sky and hurled them down to earth. Now the note in the Jew Jerusalem Bible talks about this. Is the dragon is Satan? The Hebrew word means accuser. In Jewish tradition, the serpent or dragon represented the power of evil, hostile to God and his people, and God was to destroy it at the end of time. It swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to earth. And in Daniel chapter 8, verse 10, it says, It grew even to the host of heaven, and some of the host of stars it cast down to the ground and trampled upon them. So again, it's God trying to get rid of God's angels and his holy ones in that process. Uh, so it's an allusion to the fall of the angels that seduced by Satan. So that's what that's talking about. The dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour the, her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her, now let's go a little bit more into what that's talking about. And what we can look at is Isaiah 66, 7 is a prophecy of the coming of the Savior, and it says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she was delivered of a son. And what we can see there, then, is that uh, from the New Jerusalem Bible, it says, the Messiah was considered simultaneously as an individual person and as a head or leader of the new Israel, the Son of Man and the Servant of Yahweh. That's from the New Jerusalem Bible. Revelation 2, 27 and 28 also talks about this, and he shall rule them with an iron rod as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received power from my Father, I will give him the morning star. God is, wants to do those things. In Psalm 2, verse 9, it's talking about the Son of Man, 
the Son of God. And it says, you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God, we see this in Scripture. We see it over and over again. Uh, we'll, and the note in the Jerusalem Bible on this talks about traditional Old Testament refuge for uh, refuge for the persecuted sea uh, oh, I'm sorry I'm looking at the wrong book the ascension and the triumph of the Messiah that will result in the dragon's fall the child's triumph is here described immediately after its birth what we have is and the woman fled into the desert and, and the note in the Jerusalem Bible talks about that as being the traditional place where people escaped to get past what was going on in their lives now <clears throat> excuse me the second Thing we need to look at then is the gospel and and what what is interesting is that since we have nothing in the in the scriptures about mary's assumption the readings are chosen to show that she is the mother of god and what's if you if you look at the ancient cultures of, of that area of the world it was the queen mother the mother of the king who was the real power behind the throne rather than the king's wife and if you can see, possibly see why that is because uh for example, Solomon had, and David, you look, and there are multiple wives that these men that were kings had. So the one that was really the person that was important was the mother. So we've got that going. And what we understand here is that Jesus wanted his mother to be with him when he ruled forever. And he brought her into heaven, body and soul. And that's our hope that we can have that as well. So the church talks about the reasons why Mary had this privilege and that she was special. She is also the one that points the way that we are supposed to go. She is the model for us for how to live and how to die and how to rise again. And that re our resurrection, our assumption into heaven, will not come until the last day, whereas Mary's took place after her death. Okay, let's look at the gospel. And the gospel is from Luke. And this is the time when Mary, this is after Mary had had the visit from the angel Gabriel and she heard that Elizabeth was pregnant. She was not considering herself as to how she should protect herself and her unborn child in her womb when this happened. She, Mary models for us laying down her life for others. If every man would come after me, lay down, lay down his life, take up his cross and daily and follow me. I have loved you. You know, Jesus told us he loved us by laying down his life for us. He calls us to do the same thing. Mary, again, models it. So Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah. Now, <clears throat> if you remember correctly, Zechariah and Elizabeth had attempted to have a child for years, and they were up in age, much like Sarah and Abraham, much like Hannah, and we'll talk a little bit about Hannah in a minute. It was one of these impossible births, and of course nothing is impossible for God. And so she was, she probably was about six months pregnant at the time of Mary's denunciation to Mary. So Zechariah means Yah has remembered. Yah, God, remembered Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he gave them the son, John the Baptist. And Elizabeth means the God of the, God of the oath. So the oath was made to all mankind that, that they would be blessed through Abraham. And God gave an oath to Elizabeth here in Zechariah that he would give them a son, and he did that miraculously, just like he did for Sarah and Abraham. <clears throat> when Mary heard 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting in the womb, the infant leapt, it wept, pardon me, leapt in her womb. Basically, it means when John the Baptist heard Mary's voice, he knew that Jesus was inside her womb. He became excited and he leapt for joy inside the womb. Uh, we don't do that much anymore in our culture. It's, it's uh, cons- I guess, considered uncouth to do that. And, but it's important. It's, John is already doing what we see later in, the, in, in uh, John's gospel, that he, he tells that there's somebody greater than him that's to come after him. And he's already doing that. Let's look at, at, at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Zechariah is told, he, for he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no drink, nor, no wine, nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. John was specially chosen also, but John was not as great as Jesus. But he, he's rejoicing that his cousin is coming, and that his cousin is, is, is on the way, and he's there to witness the fact that he's with him. He's rejoicing that Jesus is with him. And Elizabeth cried out, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a large voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. And the Greek word there means to speak well of. Blessed are you among women, women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Sounds very familiar to us uh, Catholics who say the Hail Mary on a regular basis. Now, we can go back to Judges chapter 13, verse, uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 24. And this is said before in the Old Testament. So we, we're seeing again that the Old Testament is speaking prophetically to things that were going to happen in the New Testament. It says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Huber, the Kenite, of the tent-dwelling women most blessed. Or Judith chapter 13, verse 18, And Uzziah said to her, O daughter, you are blessed by the Most High God above all women on earth, and blessed be the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, who guided you to strike the head of of our enemies. So God was blessed, has blessed Mary, and Elizabeth, like John, recognizes that there's something special happening here. He and how does it this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? <clears throat> Note X in the New Jerusalem Bible says, the divine title of the risen Jesus, which Luke gave him already in his earthly life, that title Lord. And then it goes on to say, blessed are you who believed what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Elizabeth is saying, God told you that you were going to conceive and bear a son. You are blessed. You are blessed to be praised because you have believed that. Let's look at John chapter 20, verse 29. It says, he's talking to Thomas here. And Thomas, you know, Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints, stick my hand in your side, I won't believe. And Jesus comes back and allows Thomas to do that. And he says, you have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. God, Mary has not seen that she's conceived, but she believes. And, and she's blessed because of that. Uh, it's, let's see. 
that you should believe. So blessed are you, blessed are you who believe that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, "My the, the Magnificat." Now let's look at, really quickly at First Samuel chapter two, verses one and eight. And this is Hannah who was unable, unable to bear children, and remember she was at the doorpost, and, and um, Eli thought she was drunk and mumbling to herself. She says, "She says my." My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth degrades my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. He bows down the, the bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble gird the strength on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to be hungry. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The, kill, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes the poor rich and brings the He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the dung heap to sit with, the, with princes and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on him the world is set. Sounds a little bit like Mary's Magnificat, which we're going to look at here just next. She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul proclaims claims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. Okay, let's look at a couple more scriptures here. Uh, Isaiah 29, verse uh, verses 19 and 20. The meek shall obtain stress joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall exult which means to dance with joy and praise in the Holy One of Israel, for the rich ruthless shall come to nothing and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Let's look more at Isaiah 61, verse 10, which again is a, a prophecy uh, that sounds similar to what Mary is saying. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with a cloak, robe of righteousness as a bridegroom protected decks himself with a garland, and the bride adorns herself with jewels. God is doing special things for Mary. And let's look at another, probably more uh, obtuse verse, which is Habakkuk verses, chapter 3, verse 18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Let's look in the New Testament. Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, 27, who said, blessed is, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that sucked you. So even there, we see that. We see more that God chose Mary specially, and he did special things for her, and it's because of her that we do have a Savior. It goes on, he has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18 say, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep the covenant and remember to do his commandments. God wants to have mercy on us. We have to seek his mercy. We have to be willing to accept his mercy in the way that God wants to give it to us. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones. He's lifted up the lowly. Uh, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. So this, this is talking a lot like what we saw with Elizabeth again. He has come to help the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy 
the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Okay, let's go look at some of that. Uh, remember, Israel was Isaac's son, who had been born Jacob, the trickster, and became Israel when he struggled with God. He struggled with God. How often do we struggle with God? And God continues to bless us through that struggle. Well, let's look at Isaiah 40, 43, 41, verses 8 and 9. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took to the from the ends of the earth and called you from the farthest corners. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. God wants to bless his people. In Isaiah, he's talking about the people of Israel. The church is the new Israel. God wants to bless his church and the people in the church. If he blesses the church, then he's going to bless the individuals in the church, correct? So that's what we're looking at there. And then in Psalm 89, verse 3, he says, he has remembered his mercy and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. The victory of our God we saw in Revelation where the, the, the serpent was not victorious. And if you look at the end of Revelation, the serpent is cast down in the lake of fire. So we have to understand that God is working with us all the time to do those things. Genesis, uh, 9, Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. I and him who curses you, I will curse. And by all the families of the earth shall bless, by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. God said this, Abraham. Let's look at the second reading because it's important that we look at that today. It's, it has a, a very different, a little diff different message. And it's, it's talking about, brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's take a look at first fruits because that's important that we look at that. The, if the, so the first roots were what was required. We saw that in the first reading. Jesus is the first roots. If there are, if Jesus is the first roots, there have to be other fruits that come along. Romans eight eleven says, "If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you." Our, and the note in the original line talks: the resurrection of Christians is intimately dependent upon that of Christ. Now let's look a little bit more. It says. He is, in Colossians 1, 18, says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead and everything preeminent. But what are you going to do to do that? It says, Since death came through man, resurrection of the dead came through a man. That's Jesus. For just as all die, as in Adam all die, so too in all Christ raised. So I'm going to look at John 12, 24 and 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life will, in this world will keep it to eternal life. Are you willing to die to the sin in your life? Are you willing to do that? If You, you have to reject the sin in your life to be able to go on beyond what God has, what what is here on earth. Why do we want to stay where we are? Note M in the New Jerusalem Bible says that contemporary Jewish thought envisioned two Adams. The first, a perfect heavenly model of Adam, and the second, the historical earthly Adam. Paul turns his thinking on its head, an historical Adam was first, and Christ, the refounder of humanity, is the second perfect heavenly Adam. He is the perfect fulfillment 
of the ideal Adam. And his exaltation reverses the fall of Adam. <clears throat> For just as in all in Adam all die, so too in Christ all are brought to life. But each one in proper order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then the end comes when he hands over to the Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and authority and power. And so Jesus is going to be he's the first one. He's, he's the firstborn of the dead. We are the ones to come after that. What God wants us to do is to rise with Jesus. Jesus wants us with him. We can't do that if we decide that we're going to do everything on our own. We can't do it if we're the ones that want to be in control of our lives. Now, let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or authority. All things were created through him, for he is above all things. Again, these principalities and powers are the powers in the air, and it's talking about angels. So Jesus is, is more powerful, and he has authority over angels, whether they're good angels or bad angels. And then let's look at the last thing that we have there, and it says, The last enemy destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. Now, let's look at Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If Jesus is the one that we're to follow in his footsteps, if he's, he's, he's the ultimate model for us, Mary is the fully human model for us. God wants you to be with him, even if you happen to be the prodigal son. He wants all of his children to be with him. He's awaiting for you to return. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen, his return, nor do we know when we're going to die. But he tells us in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And James tells us that whoever believes in him, the proof of it, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the proof of that belief, our faith is our actions. Let's rejoice in the destiny that God has in mind for us. If we were unable to enter heaven, as Mary did, Jesus would not have told us it was not only possible, but also his desire for us. Rejoice and take heart. Listen to him and do whatever he tells you. With that, I'm going to close, and I wish you a happy week, a blessed week, and hope to be with you again next week. God bless.